0: I've been asked to introduce somebody who really needs no introduction at all, does he? But um, I can tell you from my own personal experience, um, Steve Saint has a way to minister to our heart. I was just visiting with uh, Florence Mwende um, that many of you know, and she just experienced it herself personally, how Steve ministered to her. So we are looking forward to Steve being back. It's his first time back sharing in a while since his injury, but he's looking good. And we are excited to have him here. It's just such a blessing. Let me pray before we start. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you personally for um, the impact that this man has had in my life. Um, and uh, many is sitting in this room. So, Father, we thank you for the fact that you could bring him back here. We pray that you strengthen him physically, emotionally, spiritually. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would give him what he needs and thank you that um, he's such a great example of a uh, follower of Jesus and the way that you've been able to use him to minister to so many people. So, Lord, we thank you that he's here, and um, we pray that his vision that uh, really impacted me and thousands of others will continue, that we would uh, be multipliers, that we would pass on what you've given us to others. Uh, for your glory, that your name may be famous throughout the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: My accident was a week ago. At iTech, we like to experiment with different things. That's why we've been able to invent the things we have. This experiment actually worked better than I expected. You know, it was just a safety strap that broke. And the next thing I knew, people were talking around me. And I saw puffy's clouds in this little window, and then I saw helicopter blades going through the window and I realized I was in a medevac hel- helicopter on my way to Shans Hospital in Gainesville near where our high-tech R&D center is in Dinoan. I can tell you I've never felt this helpless before. And the pain and the fear of drowning in my own saliva... You know, my compassion for paraplegics. Wow. And and my new respect for doctors and nurses and my sweet wife, Jenny, and all my caregivers. Here's the update. I'm scheduled for surgery tomorrow to try to relieve the pressure on my spinal cord. It is keeping me from moving. I mean, actually, this this is a week's worth of work and people tell me that's that's pretty good but I know there's a lot of things I'm going to have to learn over again and some of them I'm going to have to re-relearn you know one of the big things has been just having people show me where my hand is people say lift your hand and I think it's on one side of the bed and then it turns out it's on the other side of the bed how in the world can anybody move a hand that's in the wrong place? <laughs> uh, how to walk again, how to move my fingers. Well, I'll tell you what. In these last six days, I have been through more pain than I ever imagined possible. But you know what the amazing and encouraging thing to me is? That honestly... Not one time have I wondered or wanted to ask God why this happened. You know, when we were interviewing Aunt Barbara Udarian for Beyond the Gates of Splendor, one of the guys that I took down to the jungle said, Barbara, here you were out in the jungles, a young mother, a young wife, had your whole life ahead of you and then one day you find out that when your husband flew off with Nate Saint to make contact with another people group that they had killed him your whole life had changed and then what he said is I just gotta know Barbara when you ask God why what did he say you know what her answer was her answer was Well, I guess it just never occurred to me to ask him why. And I just thought, how in the world do you get to that kind of point in life where you don't even ask God why when your whole life turns upside down? And now look, it's happened to me. You know, I know that God has compassion on his people, whether they know they're his or not. And he wants to have relationship with them. And I think that if we're going to tell the world about Jesus, that we're going to have to do it in new and creative ways. That's what I've gotten to do over the last years. But let me invite you. If God is prompting you to get out there and get involved in the fray, then please do it. And if you've been looking for a place... To find a home in ministry, let me suggest Team iTech. If you feel like you're all thumbs, (laughs) come on, join the crowd. I'm there too. If God's asking you to do something, help get out a newsletter or give so other people can go, I'm inviting you to be a part of iTech if you don't already have a ministry. Let's give him everything. No, holds barred. Nothing held back. I'm surprised to see all of you here this this afternoon, but I'm mostly surprised to be here with you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't usually pay much attention to what I wear, but I have dockers with elastic waisted up here so that I can get them down when necessary. Only if I take them down too far, then they come down all the way. <laughs> I had three pastors who were visiting us at the house, and I was in my study showing them you know the prop from my dad 's plane and some things I brought back from the jungles and When I turned to take them back to the family room, it was winter now we don 't have much winter in Florida, but it felt like somebody opened the window because I felt this draft, and I looked back to see what they had done. And they were both looking at me down here, so I looked down and my pants were down around my feet. <laughs> now, when you've been in rehab hospital, that's no big deal except that you can only take very small steps. <laughs> but I take small steps most of the time anyway. You know there there are little offsets when you become different. <laughs> Now, I was a little bit different anyway, but when I got home from rehab, my hands wouldn't open. So I thought, there's got to be a way to get that hand to open. So I thought, I know what to do. I'll take two pieces of wood and I'll hinge them together a little bit apart, just about the width of my fingers. And I put some padding on it that I can heat, you know, like rice in the sock and we'll put it in the microwave And then we'll put it in there and I'll smash it smash my hand down. And then when it comes out, you know, it'll be straight for a little bit. So I talked Jenny into taking me to Lowe's. I was in my wheelchair, (laughs) but I could pull myself with my heels. But we had to go to the far end of the Lowe's store. And by that time, I couldn't pull anymore. So I started pushing myself. And Jenny would say, "Watch out, there's some people, and I'd slow down because I can go really fast backwards <laughs> and then And then my feet gave out there after we got the thing, so Jenny was carrying this one by six, about twelve feet long, and she had some of those insulating you know insulation that goes around tubes I Jim. Sure and uh and she had that over, and then she had some screws and things, and then I couldn't push anymore, so she had my wheelchair by the one handle and was pulling me and I was trying to steer with my foot. And I saw this lady with this little boy in the in the cart and he looked at me like this and she said, come here, Johnny. And she took the cart away because you don't want to be too near people that are strange. But then there was one lady and she had on this long flowing skirt, you know, kind of Well, I kind of thin, you know, you can see through one layer, but it's about four layers. So I I wasn't looking, but (laughs) Ginny, Ginny took me right by her. And I I mean, I almost hit her. And so I looked up to say, I'm sorry, ma'am. I said, I'm sorry, ma'am. I have never seen a face that ugly in my life. No kidding. Big wart right here. Ugly, ugly face. And as I said, I'm sorry, ma'am. Her face burst into flames. I kid you not, and it scared me. It was just before Halloween, and she was a witch that was (laughs) motion-sensitive. So now I have to shop at Home Depot. (laughs) But I started getting better, and I went to church, and I actually walked in, and one Sunday I was just standing up and following my wife Jenny and our son Sean and his wife Ann and, and some of our grandchildren. We were walking out of the aisle and the lady came by and she, she grabbed my left hand and she said, uh, I just finished reading your book and I felt like I was right there. And I said, well, thank you very much. And she said, I just wanted to tell you. And then, and then she kept holding my hand. And holding my hand, and I was kind of embarrassed because Jenny's standing right there, and this, this lady I've never met is holding my hand, and I mean Jenny's kind of used to seeing pictures of me with other women. It's okay now because my hands don't feel anything, so. But this woman kept holding my hand. It was really getting embarrassing, and so finally I looked at her and I said, "Ma'am, are you holding my hand, or am I holding yours?" <laughs> And her eyes got real big and she said, I was holding yours, now you're holding mine. <laughs> it's just my left hand, I can't let go, so you got to pull. <laughs> I've never seen her again. <laughs> but that's not the worst of it. This Our doctor, I have a doctor that takes care of me, a volu- volunteer. But he and his wife and their two little kids came down to visit us in Donnellan. And uh, when it was time to go, their little son, I won't tell you his name, Well, his name is Robbie. But Robbie didn't want to go because he was making forts all over. We have seven acres of woods and a couple horses and a pasture. And so he did not want to go home to a little house, you know, in in a subdivision. So Robbie pushed his mom and said, no, I'm not going home. And I was talking to her and so I thought I better get out of here. So I turned to leave, and my right arm wouldn't come with me. So I pulled, and I pulled, and I turned back. And she had this blouse with an elastic collar on it. And my arm from the elbow down was inside her blouse. And every time I'd pull, I would just pull her blouse out, and I'd say, whoa. And I can't can't close my eyes because I'll fall down. So I was trying to get loose from this lady. And wouldn't you know, I turned around, and there's her husband had just stepped in, and I've got my hand in his wife's blouse. And I thought, what do I say now? (laughs) And finally I thought, my hand is turned out, and I can't feel, so it's not sin. (laughs) And then she lowered down a little bit, and I got it out, so not many women come to our house to visit anymore. But you know what? It's not all fun. I have found that when I sit in a wheelchair and other people are standing up, you know what? I'm less than they are. And people will stand right above me and talk about me as though I'm not even there. And that's been really hard to get used to. Because I wanted to say, you know, my body doesn't work, but my mind is still here. I'm still a person. And then I realize that there's hundreds of millions of people in the world that are overlooked because they don't look like us and they don't dress like us. And so we think it's okay for us to lord it over them. And now I are one. And then there's the friends. Some who have been friends for a long time. And they call and send a card and say, you know, I'm really sorry. Hey, when you're feeling better, I'd really like to come down and visit. And that's the last I ever hear from them. But they're also friends. Like a good friend that's here with me. Busy businessman. Left his business and left his work. And came down to the hospital when I was in so much pain, that I, I, all I remember was being in this dark cave, and I didn't want to open my eyes because when I opened my eyes, I could see the pain monsters all around me. And I would just call out and I'd say, Jenny, are you there? And she'd say, Stevie boy, I'm right here. And then I knew somebody's out there and then Dave was there for 3 days because Jenny was just worn out it's it's hard to have a baby this big and I couldn't do anything for myself and you know the pain I don't mind pain so much I go to the dentist and I never take novocaine no matter what they're doing I can I can take that but this kind of pain I had never felt before I had no idea pain could be this this bad. And then I started thinking about all the people all over the world who have no access. They don't have Tylenol or Ibuprofen. They don't have anything. And they don't have people who know how to take care of them. And here I had people all around me and, and giving me medicine whenever I needed it and surgeons to take out the back of my backbone, which I think I appreciate, but now there's nothing to hold my shoulders up, and so I've just had months and months of excruciating pain. And I've been telling lots and lots of people that you have two choices in in life. Either we let God write our story... Or we try to write it. But in North America, our standard operating procedure is we ask God to write our story, but, but then we, we write it and we really make Him our editor. And when we write it and it gets so messy and it, we get so tired and desperate, then we call Him in to come and straighten it out. But you know, I've been reading this book. I highly recommend it to you. It's, it's about missions and how to be a, a Christ follower. It's written by a whole bunch of people over a long period of time. They compiled the whole thing into, into one. I've got it in my iPhone. Now, even in Wild did it on the language of the people who speared my dad to death. And uh, I've never seen any place in there where it says that God wants to be our editor. He wants to be the author of our faith. And I have told people, you know, when we let God write our, our story, He doesn't promise that all the chapters will be easy. The only thing He promises that in the last chapter, if not before, He promises that He will make sense of all the other chapters. And... uh about the first week that I was in the rehab hospital and really I couldn't find my, my my arms. One day I woke up and I tried to pick up my arm and put it on my belly. That's all I could do. And I, I tried to lift it and nothing happened. And I tried to lift it and nothing happened. I thought, oh Lord, I've lost the use of my hand. And then something started hitting me in the side of the head. And I called the nurse in and said, something's hitting me in the side of the head. And she said... <laughs> Yeah, and she pulled it down. (laughs) It was me. (laughs) Well, I want you to know that this last year and a half has been a chapter that I never anticipated having. But every time that I've been flying an experimental aircraft or doing something that was pretty out of the ordinary, I had a t-shirt that said, at any cost on it. It was a, a group of young people that went around telling the story of my dad and his four friends and how they were killed. And it, their, the name of their program was At Any Cost. And uh, So I would put that on and say, you know, Steve Saint, there is a cost to being a Christ follower. And you never know what that cost might be. And I remember that morning when i was injured i thought nah all i'm going to be doing is testing a wing mounted to the to the top of a car because we didn't have a wind tunnel that would go that fast and we had a cheap old car that somebody had left at ITEC. so i mounted the wing and i had two straps like seat belts to hold this wing down i needed to have it moved because i wanted to see how much lift it would generate and i was in the back of the this car and it was a hatchback and so i took the hatch off and i was in the back and we had a brand new intern at itech he'd only been there that was his first morning he'd only been on the job for an hour so i figured he couldn't be very busy so i said hey would you drive the car for me and it was time for our weekly update meeting and i said ron just give me two minutes i'll be right back and you know i was confident that i'd be right back i'm back now every once in a while a year and a half later but I had that shirt on. I decided, you know, who knows when it will happen. And uh, now I want to tell you that I see things very differently. But I still say, let's let God write our story. And if hard chapters come, let's just trust that He will write it into His epic story one way or another. Okay? Okay? I'm gonna. Would you help me up there? I'm gonna go up here where I can. Okay. That's good. Thank you. That's good. I'm just gonna sit down here. <laughs> Wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I can do this. You got it? I can do this, you know. This is like missions. Whenever something happens that we don't expect, we we North Americans always wanna to, wanna to run in and fix it. <laughs> and sometimes what we need to do is we need to just wait and give the people there a chance. I can do this. I can do this. No, I, can, I can do this. I just need a chance. <laughs> I didn't know if that was going to work or not. <laughs> you know what? You know what? They told me it the rehab hospital my wife Jenny yeah I don't want to do that one (laughs) my wife Jenny and son Jamie's um, wait a minute yeah my wife Jenny and Jamie my son Jamie's wife made a huge picture of Jenny and me sitting by we got a big oak tree out in the back and uh, we call it our family tree because we get all of our grandkids every year and we go and we, they climb up in the branches of the tree and Jenny and I sit down below. And when I was at the hospital, I just I just missed my grandchildren, 17 now, so badly. And so they made this picture and blew it way up and put it on the wall of my room and every day... I didn't wear my glasses for three months because it didn't matter what I saw. All I had to do is, is wake up about 13 times every night in excruciating pain and try to get somebody to move my head a little bit so I could breathe a little bit better. And uh, then in the morning when the light started coming in, I would look at that picture and, and that's what I'd say. I'm going to live for those kids. Because if I can't do anything else, at least I can love the next generation that's coming. And then one day, and Dave, I don't know where Dave, Dave, where are you? Dave over there was with me, and uh, one of the the therapists came into my room and said, uh, is this all your family? And I said, well, this is all except for our three sons and their wives. Uh, There's... 25 of us i guess now and they said uh, you know that's going to be a problem and i thought what are you kidding me i have got 17 lovely grandchildren and three sons that have good relationship with that's almost a miracle and and three daughter-in-laws who are loving and kind to jenny and to me i said Tell me how that can be a problem. They said, we are here. Our job is to rehabilitate you. Our job is to teach you how to do things in this new body. And they said, what's going to happen, and that we see it happen over and over and over, is that when we have patients who have a big and loving family, what happens is we work and work and work to get them ready to do a lot of things that they don't know how to do now in this new, unimproved body. And they said, and then we send them home, and the people that don't have anybody at home, or maybe have a little bit of help, they progress. But those that have loving, big family around them, that family does so much for them that they digress. And I thought, that's exactly what happens in missions. We go, and thinking it's loving, we do for people, what they can do for themselves, and in the process of trying to be Christ-like to them, what we do is we ruin the chances for them to do what God has called them to do. That is not loving. That is not kind. And that is not the way that God through Christ asked us to give his message to the whole world. And I'd like to ask you all to stop doing it. Because the end result is that we are undermining the very thing that we're trying to to do. I got a little quiz for you. This is a real quiz. And uh, you can volunteer, I'll call on you. I'll volunteer you. How many people, approximately, are there on this little tiny piece of dust floating out in the cosmos today? Seven billion. Okay. What's the biggest country in the world by population? China. In a few years, what will be the biggest country? India, okay, how easy is it for Christian missionaries to go to China? It's a closed country. How easy easy is it for expatriate um, Christian missionaries to go to India? The doors there aren't open either. What's the third largest country in the world? Indonesia, Indonesia no. The United States. But we, we are the United States, right? Um, doors are open here, which is probably the reason that... The country in the world that now has more, mission, more foreign missionaries coming to share the gospel in any country in the world is the United States. Check the Internet. The last time I looked, it said that there are 32,400 foreign missionaries. I know most of you are wondering, what in the world is he talking about? Missionaries don't come to the United States. Missionaries go from the United States. Or, oh, these are missionaries, people from other countries that are coming to learn from us how to do missions? No. 32,400, I don't know how they count to the one, but there are over 32,000 Christian missionaries from other countries in the United States who have come here sent by their churches to evangelize North America, the United States. That is the largest number of missionaries that are going to any country in the world. To the United States. What's the fourth largest country in the world? Indonesia. How easy is it for Christian missionaries to go to Indonesia? Guys, if you take Indonesia with about, what is it, 240 million people, and India with Two billion, excuse me, one billion, one billion plus a little bit of people. I mean, what's a few million here or there? And then if you add that to China with one billion two hundred million people, add add those up. Can somebody do that? About one one billion plus one billion two hundred million. Plus about uh, 240 million. What do we get? <laughs> that's what it sounds like when I ask my grandchildren a question. <laughs> what do we What do we get? Four and a half billion. Two and a half billion. Okay, two and a half billion. That's more than That's more than a third of all the people, isn't it? That's more than a third of all the people in the whole world, are living in countries where Christian missionaries cannot go as Christian missionaries, at least not readily, not, not freely moving through those countries. And yet, more missionaries are coming to the United States than the other place. Isn't that a waste? I mean, we are a Christian nation. You know, one of the things I realized when I went home from the rehab hospital, I started watching television. Well, we don't have television, but we have Netflix. And so I'd get Ginny to come in and just put on documentaries and programs and things. And you know what I realized? That television is totally godless. The only time I saw anything on television that referred to Christians at all, if there was anything that was even remotely positive, it was about Catholics. It must have been made before some of the rash of uh, problems that the Catholic Church has had. But never, ever, ever, not even once, can I ever remember seeing evangelical Christians portrayed as anything but meddlers. People who go to force religion down other people's throats. People who are the vilest of everybody on there but proposed religion as though they were clean. And I realized then why other countries are sending their missionaries here to North America. Because while we're thinking that we are the country that reaches out to the world, we have fallen so far behind in our passion to share Christ's message with the world and and, and another issue is that we keep doing it the same old, same old way, even though it doesn't have a remote possibility of even taking Christ's message to the population growth, much less to the 2.4 billion people that not only haven't heard the gospel, but have no access to Christ's gospel. And, and if I read the book right, it's the same book that I was promoting a little bit ago, It says in there that Christ sent us to the whole world to make disciples. And uh, now numbers may not be your thing, but in the year 2050, anybody have a projection of what the population of the United States is projected to be? How much? How much? 400 million? No, no, of just the United States. In in the next 37 years. We're about 317 million now, right? How much? I think they're saying 400 and, uh, 418 million, something like that. Do you know how much they project that the... Population of India will increase in the next 37 years. 439 million. The population of India will grow more in the next 37 years than the entire population of the third largest country in the world. Guys, all I'm trying to say is... I mean, I was just... I got an iPhone. And this is... What is this, a C5? J5? Something (laughs) 5. You know, at the rehab hospital, they kept trying to teach me to open these fingers, but I got a nerve damage comes through here. So these fingers, especially when I'm standing up, they curl in like this. Just right for that. (laughs) You know, I don't even have to remember I'm carrying this. I could go into the bathroom and reach for the toothpaste, and I got my iPhone still there. And you know what I can do? I got notes for this meeting. We're so far off that there's no way of getting back. Do you know what technology does? I'm in touch with people all over the world with this, but I can't type anymore. Well, I can, but it's really slow. But you know what somebody has done? They've made dictation capability, and I can dictate in three languages of the five that I can communicate in. I can do that on this iPhone. I just changed to that alphabet now, if you get a, t- a text or an email from me and it doesn't make any sense, I probably had it on Spanish and I was dictating in English or vice versa. And if there's any profanity in there, I-, I beg your pardon, I was that was not me. I really sent some interesting messages. But you know what this thing does? All those numbers that I've been giving you, I get from this. And, uh, and communication with people, there are days and days that go by that nobody comes to visit. That happened at first when I was home. And I tell you, I feel so abandoned sometimes, so lonely, and so incapable of doing anything that that's really been maybe the greatest pain, that there's no medicine for Is It's just living in a body that can't do the stuff that, that I really wanted to do. Do you know what I've found out while I've been being like this? I've been reading and mulling over parts of that book that I've been studying for most of my life since I learned to read. And you know what? It doesn't say an awful lot about doing, unless you're reading James. You know what God is interested in us for? It's not about what we can do for Him. It's about what we might be willing to allow Him to make us be. If you read the book, it, it emphasizes a whole lot more being than doing. And yet, we just are so desperate to go help God do what He can't do without us. I don't want to belabor the point, but... It does say in the book that one day we're going to stand before Wang Ungi, the Creator. And he's going to ask us, What did you do with the abilities that I gave you? What did you do with the opportunities I gave you? What did you do with the message that I asked you to take to the world? And I don't think when that time comes... That it's gonna do a whole lot for him or for us, for us to say, Well, I was so busy that I missed what was going on. I was I was I was doing your work. And if he says, But you weren't doing it my way, so you weren't doing my work, what if he points out to us those 3 billion people that don't have access to his gospel. And he's given us tools like this to use to take that message. We cannot keep trying to do missions the way we've been doing it. The people, our brothers and sisters overseas are sending their missionaries to the United States because most of those people come from countries that the European Christians took the gospel to. Have any of you been in Europe recently? What country? France. France. How many in Germany? How, how many? Germany. Germany. France. England. And how's, what's the condition of the evangelical church in those countries? Do you know that Europe is the most secular area of the world today? The only bright light where religion is growing is in Islam. And our friends and brothers and sisters in in countries in Africa, seeing what has happened to Europe, are sending their missionaries here because they're afraid that the United States will become the next Europe. My question for us this afternoon is, we are on our way down. We really are economically, um, socially. I didn't recognize this before, but laying at home with lots of time to just think about the things that before, I would get the information, but then I was off to do something and I would forget about it and I'd come home and play with my grandchildren and Chase Jenny and, and I forgot about those things, but now with my body unable to perform, I have lots of time to think about that. And, uh, I mean, God could work a miracle, but if the United States follows the pattern that other countries have followed who are doing the things that we're doing, I dare you if you're in business. Or if you're a church like Southeast Christian here, tell the world that uh, we're not going to allow the Boy Scouts to meet in this church anymore because now they invite openly homosexual uh, Scouts to come, which means, I mean, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. The only bright thing that I see in, in coming in our future, if you're from the U.S., is that persecution is is coming it's already beginning it's just nibbling at our heels right now but you know what when persecution really comes then the church of christ in this country will become healthier and stronger it will become much smaller but we may again be able to call god and he might bring a resurgence he might bring a uh, what do we call it, a revival here in this country, and that's what I'm praying for. But in the meantime, from one cripple to the rest of you, you all have problems, don't you? But if we get together, and if we can learn to love and care for each other, I think that we can go out and we can see if we we shouldn't be doing it ourselves. But there are lots of brothers and sisters out there who are already there. And they have lots of people, like Oscar Moody, who said in The Missions Dilemma. How many of you have seen the, uh, the Missions Dilemma? A few. I want to apologize to the rest of you that I've never pushed it. We filmed The Missions Dilemma right here. I went and interviewed people from countries all around the world, and I asked them, if you could give the church in North America one suggestion of how we could do missions more effectively, more sensitively, and more productively in your part of the world, what would you want to tell us? And because they recognized that I grew up tribal down in Ecuador, they really shared their hearts with me, and all the missions dilemma is me letting you see what those people had to say about what we should do. I strongly, strongly recommend it. Um, It'll hurt a little bit, but it will help. Oscar Mudio, a pastor of a great big church in Nairobi, Kenya, told me what he thought about the United States. He said, you know, you used to send missionaries here. They would overwhelm us. They would lord it over us. They would build the church building, and then they would... They would govern the church and they would support the church. And if they left, everything left with them. And after he got done talking about the things that we've done, he said, now you're sending your kids to us. He said, when your schools are on vacation, we have no ministry here at all. And I said, why? He said, because there are so many young people from North America coming here to do ministry. He said, and we, our time is taken hosting them and, and making sure that they have you know, a good experience so they'll go home and send more young people here. And I said, Oscar, why don't you just say no? But you know what he said? In Kenya, we don't say no. And I knew that already because I grew up in Ecuador. But I said, Oscar, is there any role for the church in North America to play still in missions? And he said, oh, yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. He said, You're the most creative people in the whole world. And we are still. We still are. Everything that we design, when China gets it, they just copy it. You can buy it about a year after the people that designed it here. We are the most creative people. And he said, if you people in North America would just do what you do best and let us do what we do best, together we could reach the world. I've just started my first project since the injury, and if I could just say everybody's been calling what happened to me an accident, and I really don't think it was. I don't think that God looked away when that wing came out of the holder and hit me in the head and broke my head open and gave me such an incredible whiplash that I will be like this for the rest of my life short of a miracle. Um... No, I don't think it was an accident. I think it was just the next chapter for me. And God's got next chapters for us. If we will just work together and do what God has called us to do. To join with our brothers and sisters around the world. To reach the world for Christ. I don't know if you were here a few years ago when... I interpreted for Eli Catachunga and um, he was spoken of plenary session. He's a Tikuna tribesman from the northwest corner of Brazil. And he said, after he talked about all the things that we were capable of doing, like he said, uh, you people have airplanes, you have radios, um, you have radio stations. Um, he said, you have... Outboard motors for your canoes and things. He said, you're very, very strong. And held up his arm and flexed his muscle. And he said, but my people can go through the jungles for weeks and not take anything with them. And he said, we're very strong. But he said, the question isn't how strong are you? How strong are we? He put his fingers together, which I've just learned to do again. And he held his hands up and he said, the question we need to be asking ourselves is, how strong are we together? And I think that's what God would be wanting me to say to you this afternoon. He says, my strength is made perfect in most of you never have a chance to realize how weak you can really be. I can go to the bathroom by myself if it 's if it 's oh um, or medical if it 's just this, but if it 's this <laughs> when I lose my balance and my hand goes then it 's really hard to get it clean because this hand doesn 't work very good to get the soap and clean it off. Do you know how weak you feel to have to call somebody in to wipe you at my age? But it has taught me that God's strength really is made perfect in weakness. And I wouldn't recommend this to any of you who don't have it. But there are some things that I've been realizing that you probably won't ever have a chance to realize. And so I beg you, let's... Let's go like this around the world. They still need us, but we need them because this message is for everybody. It's the message of freedom. And if we go the wrong way, our helping hurts. And we don't want to do that because when we stand before the Christ who not only suffered, but he was embarrassed for us. And then died for us. We need to be able to give a good account. My son Jamie is going to speak in the next workshop right here. You know what? We've been called to go make disciples. If you have children, that's discipleship. If you can pass on the faith that you have to your children, who will pass it on to their children, who will pass it on to their neighbors and friends. That really is the way that we will reach the world. I'd I'd really like to stay and uh, listen to my son. I've only ever heard him speak one time because when he's going one place, I was staying in bed at another place. I also would like to invite you to go by our booth the iTech booth. We're just a, a small organization, but we are growing. And my project, my next project, is to build a man portable clinic where we can do surgery like C sections. And I've talked to doctors. And is Trina here? Good. Uh, we have a doctor. We have a doctor on our staff. And I've been talking to some OBGYN doctors who have seen what people like Charlie Vidado, who introduced me have been teaching non-professional people, lay Christians around the world to do in dentistry, and they have said, "If you can do that, you can do c-sections." and then another doctor, an ophthalmologist, said, "You know you guys are fitting people with glasses, but what have what happens if they have cataracts and I said, no, we don't do that. And he said, but you could do that. And so I'm designing a man portable clinic. Starts with a tent with positive pressure. That's what God created me for. By the way, the hand masher, it does work. (laughs) When I take it out, this hand is just as straight as, as this one, except for this finger. It's really straight. For about ten seconds it looks so nice and then it goes back like this. Thank you for those of you who wanted to help. But don't forget, helping can hurt. God bless you all.